Combo, Combo Nation. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button wherever you tune into Combo's Court. What is up, everyone, and welcome to episode 367 of Combo's Court, and I am Combo. Today's show, Adam Kaufman of the Celtics Beat joins in to talk Celtics basketball. Fantastic conversation with Adam. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Welcome to Combos Court. You must be feeling pretty good, man. Feeling great. I mean, it's a lot better uh, hanging out with you after a Game 7 win than than the alternative, right? <laughs> most definitely. Most definitely. So often we talk about the best two-way players in the league, right? I look at the Celtics as the best two-way team mm-hmm. left. Would you agree? And what were your biggest takeaways from this series? Yeah, I'd absolutely agree with that. I mean, as as good as, you know, teams like... Dallas, certainly Miami are defensively, you know, the, the Celtics were playing at an almost historically great defensive rate and they've been doing it for the vast majority of the season. This isn't just like a new thing in the playoffs. Certainly, you know, that and your listeners know that. And as right. far as the offense goes, Celtics really going back to when this turnaround happened for them. Cause it's, it's, I tweeted it yesterday. It's so easy to forget that this team started 25 and 25. I mean, they were damn near two thirds of the way through their season before they really kind of found themselves but their offense while you know it it really floundered it was sort of middling at best during much of the first half of the season has been a top five to ten offense over the course of really since mid-January and then you get into the playoffs obviously it's been really good as well maybe a little bit inconsistent but in general uh very very good and so yeah I I would certainly agree the Celtics team is the best two-way team that is left. And I, I just think that the defensive element is so important. It's so important. I, I know that everybody knows that. Like, that's the I, – I don't worry about their ability to, you know, reach 100 points, to have a solid offensive net rating or offensive efficiency or whatever you want to – you know, which whichever stat you feel like looking at. But when it comes to the defensive side, my confidence in their ability – to slow down or outright stop another team. You know, we saw what they did in the first round to Kevin Durant, to Kyrie Irving, you know, taking them out of their games. You know, certainly they had their moments, but overall not good series for either guy. Giannis, obviously, he he, to me is the best player in the world. I know that's up for debate, Mm. but he is to me the best player in the world and had uh, really a very strong conference semifinal series, but even still, he didn't play to what, he is used to doing you know I think if you were to ask him that he would say yeah I mean my efficiency my success rate was not what I'm used to it being certainly it wasn't what it was in round one so as robust as some of the numbers were points rebounds assists whatever else you know a lot of the volume numbers he was at least a little bit while not certainly contained he was taken out of his game the way he's used to playing it and so I think that's 
that's one of the fascinating things coming up against this, uh, you know, this very, very good heat team coming up next with Jimmy Butler. Chris Middleton wasn't there. And I'm not just telling you this because you're here. I predicted the Celtics would win this series. They did win this series. But I would say, I think, in my opinion, it's impressive that the Bucs even took it seven games without Middleton playing. Like Middleton's that guy that could get you effortless buckets, especially in the mid-range. And I think in the playoffs, it's so important to get effortless buckets. I think that's what a lot of teams lacked, and that's what the Bucs lacked in the series. But kudos to them for taking it seven games. Yeah, I mean, look, they're the defending champs for a reason. They're not a one-man team. As you know, we always talk about Giannis Antetokounmpo, but Drew right. Holiday was was very, very good at points in that series. Certainly, the end of that game where he stifled Marcus Smart multiple times. You know, they've got good role players. Whether it's you know Pat Connaughton and Grayson Allen and Bobby Portis and Brooke Lopez, and you know, like you can go down the list. They all have guys that can find a way to to chip in and steal a game, and that happened at different points in that series, without a doubt. And so, uh, I'm not. I'm definitely not surprised that that the Bucks lasted seven with the Celtics. Um, you know, especially when you look at the series in in real time. Obviously, and the Celtics were the ones that were down three to two. But what I will say is, it's sort of to your overall point. And I had the Celtics winning the series too. I I think I took Celtics in six. It was six or seven. I don't remember, mm-hmm. but I I had them in a a longer series going in. And the the thing that to me is is sort of um, you know, pr- particularly impressive is, is, you know, the, the fact that you could easily argue that Boston, while obviously you need four wins to advance, you could say that that series could have very easily been Boston six, Milwaukee one, you know, there was only one game that the Bucks flat out won that the Celtics just weren't in every other game, you know, you sort of point to collapses, like obviously game five blowing a 14 point fourth quarter lead. Like there were a couple of games in that series that just got away from Boston and, you know, had the Celtics ultimately lost the series would have been haunting fans, dreams, nightmares for, you know, the entire off season. And we would have been, you know, I think I, I sort of, I made this comparison to a friend. I look at, obviously it, it doesn't matter now the Celtics won the series. So, you know, live, learn, move on, whatever it's, it's, it's on to South beach. But if the Celtics right. had lost that series, you know, we'd be looking at that game five and and blowing the 14-point fourth quarter lead and the multiple, you know, great plays by Drew Holiday there in the final minute and a half. We'd be looking at that game, I would guess, the way that Nets fans, you know, look at, at that Kevin Durant sneaker game last offseason or last postseason. You know, you'd be looking at it as, man, like that, that was our title. Like, you know, Kevin, Kevin Durant's foot his sneaker being just a, a half inch too long, being on the three-point line, being a two instead of a three, like that was where we lost a title because I, I think that the Nets obviously were that good, you know, to go on and win a championship. The Celtics are good enough to win a championship and yeah. it, it would have felt like an incredible lost opportunity. Definitely good enough to win a ter- championship. Before we go to South Beach, I want to take it back because obviously at the beginning of the season, it didn't look great for the Celtics. It's great to see that it's less your turn, my turn when it comes to the two J's. Yep. They always had the tools on defense, but obviously the defense has improved uh, as well with the emergence of Grant Williams and Al Horford playing like he's 25 at times. But I want to ask you about Coach Ime because stylistically, what has he brought to the table when it comes to this team and just having them play so well? So, I mean, I, I could go on for hours on that question um, okay. because, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll try and bullet point it for you because uh, I will be the first, like, it's, I'm sure there will be some people 
that are saying right now, like I had email all the way. I never lost <laughs> faith. Like it, in, in email, I trust, you know, with all that stuff. Right. Um, I was never like for people that don't remember, like there were, you know, come like early January before the turnaround started and the team kind of floundering, like there, never mind the, well, should the Celtics trade one of the Jays? Like, do you need to get rid of Tatum right. or Brown? They can't play together. Your turn, my turn, like you talked about, they can't coexist and blah, blah, blah. I right. mean, there was a, you know, a fire email hashtag that was making the rounds on Twitter quite a bit. Now, if you want to say that was like the sort of vocal minority, it wasn't the majority of fans that were saying it like, that's fine. Of course it wasn't. I think most fans are, are smart enough to understand that a first time, first year head coach requires some patience and they're going to be growing pains. And, you know, you're not going to just jump right into it and, and coast to a, a title and, you know, it's like for anyone that watched winning time, like it's not going to be Paul Westhead and the Lakers. You know what I mean? Like it's that's that's not what that's not what reality is more often than not. And and but at the same time, like I was absolutely someone that questioned the hire, you know, months into the season. You know, I, I and not because like, oh, I don't like email or oh, it's like, you know, I, I always hoped he'd figure it out. I wasn't someone saying fire email like that's asinine. Now, if if. I probably would have said to you at the time, if he hasn't figured this out, like by this point next year, like a season and a half into his career, you got to really consider whether or not you've got the right guy, you know, like that's, you got to do kind of a, a soul search half season in that would have been stupid. And so, you know, I, there were early questions about the rotation, obviously Mm -hmm. like the rotation was a mess at times, you know, the, after the two weeks, the first two weeks of the season, the, the defensive buy-in was pretty much there, you know, and it got better and better as the season went along. First couple of weeks were sort of a mess, whatever. Um, the offense was often a disaster. You talked about the, your turn, my turn, the, you know, I, Marcus Smart hadn't yet been thrust into a, a true point guard role. You know, it's one thing to play the point, you know, like you're the, you're the one today you're the starting point guard it's another thing as you know like to play the point you know to be a point guard to be a facilitator to take the smart shots obviously when you have them but you know to just run the offense a totally different way which to Ime's credit Brad Stevens never really did with Marcus you know very little toward the end maybe last year but generally I, I would argue offensively like defense is different but offensively didn't always have Marcus in the right spot, you know? So whether it's a credit to Ime, the rest of the coaching staff, Brad up top, a collective effort, Marcus, the other, whoever gets the credit, you know, they found the best way to use Marcus right after signing a a lucrative long-term contract. He had the best season of his career, which oftentimes does not happen in professional sports. So, you know, getting the guy and and the other thing with, with Ime too, that I really questioned and, and look, it worked like egg on my face, but something that I really questioned early was the calling guys out in public the way he did, you know, Mm -hmm. holding guys. It's one thing to hold guys accountable behind the scenes, but to so publicly hold them accountable with sort of just the, I don't know, the fragility that exists in a lot of professional athletes today, you know, young men that don't enjoy that. You know, I I was sitting there saying like, man, like, I don't know if this can work. Like, I, I don't know if this, this style, this approach is, is going to be one that really wins over the locker room. But credit to Ime, it did. Like he said, and players said, Tatum and Brown, head of the snake, if you will, said, we want to be coached hard. And they meant it. They they did. They were. And, uh, you know, I, I think that, 
you know, so that's a lot of the beginning of the year stuff. And you can fast forward all the way to as recently as game seven against Milwaukee, the Grant Williams stuff. There are, you know, there are very, very few, I believe anyway, I guess I don't know, but I believe there are very, very few head coaches that would have told Grant Williams when his shot was off early in that game. And he was like two of seven from three or whatever it was to start things off, despite getting great wide open looks, the bucks were daring him to shoot. There are very few head coaches in an elimination game when you're down 10 points that would say, keep shooting, shoot your way through it, let it fly. These are the looks they're giving us. We've got to take them. You were a 40 plus percent three point shooter during the regular season. Keep your confidence, hold your head high. You know what you're doing out there. Just keep shooting like you're in an open gym because they're giving you wide open opportunities. Keep doing so. You know, it's all kind of a long winded way of saying, I really believe that Ime is a great teacher. You know, I think he is a great teacher of the game. And I think that while there was a lot of skepticism early, including for me, I think the Celtics have found themselves a, a great young head coach. Stylistically, what allowed them to have better flow throughout the course of the season on offense? What did Coach Ime implement there, in your opinion? Well, ball movement more than anything else, you know, yeah. it's, and that's really easy to say. But, you know, you go back to his introductory press conference and and he sort of had that, you know, obviously it was it was it was fun in nature, but he sort of had that dig at Brad to him during the press conference, saying <laughs> like, you know, whatever the exact quote was, but saying that, you know, we were near the bottom of the league in in assist percentage last year and we're going to change that like we're going to we're going to move the ball. Like, let's get rid of the ISO crap and let's, you know, so that was, that was another thing with email, like really zeroing in and we've talked about your turn, my turn, but getting rid of the isolation stuff. He, he, another thing with your last question was, you know, he's very public about telling his players to stop bitching and crying and whining (laughs) at the officials. You know, I, I respect that, but, but, you know, to your latest question, you know, ball movement, highlighting ball movement and, and, and really giving your offense an opportunity to get the best shot available. And, and that's not, I don't want this to sound like anti-Brad. I loved Brad. I thought Brad was a, a really a, an underappreciated head coach um, by, by a lot of people. And I would not have been the least bit disappointed if Brad remained the head coach of this team, you know, not moving up to the front office, obviously at the time that Danny Ainge walked away, but you know, that was something that for whatever reason, the last year or two, the ball movement, it, it got, stagnant it got you know whether you want to point to injuries and COVID absences or you know roster fit personnel what there are a lot of different things like brad gets a lot of credit for the success of of this year's team in and the way that he built out this roster to have so much flexibility and interchangeability and a defense first mindset and so many different things that maybe we'll talk about but as far as email goes I, i think that improving the ball movement, making sure that was a largely consistent thing, making sure that the, there was never a weak link defensively, especially after, you know, Dennis Schroeder was traded away or Ennis Cantor was traded away, things like that. You know, you always had, you knew you always had five guys out there on the floor that you could absolutely trust. And I think that's, that's a large part of sort of just the well-roundedness of this roster and this team that made things work for Ime. So I wanted to shift to Jason Tatum. Game six was phenomenal. And I thought that game seven would kind of highlight game six because that's where they would win the series. And it did. They did. And we could always look back at that game as, you know, in my opinion, that's a legacy game for Jason Tatum. Me yep. personally, I don't have Jason Tatum on the tier of a Luca, LeBron, a KD, 
a Giannis, mm. an Embiid, a Jokic. I'm not quite there yet, and I think some of that might be the consistency. You get to watch him all year round. Would you have him at that level yet? So I, I wouldn't, uh, I think you said it right. And I think that, and I'm certainly like, this is, this is a, a, a minority take here, but I think that uh, it's sort of a semantic argument. And I think you presented it the right way. And, and I try and do this the right way on my podcast as well. There's a, a difference between playing like a superstar versus being a superstar. And Jason Tatum has had superstar halves of seasons he's had superstar halves of games he's had you know superstar takeovers he like there are so many superstar attributes to where you really want to say like yeah like this guy's a top five player in in the world like you want to say it you're begging to say it and and honestly while to me like you outlined he's not there yet I absolutely believe he will be like this is a guy on the precipice you know whether it's next year the year after like we will there will be a consensus Jason Tatum is a superstar that that doesn't quite exist yet. And the reason, because your, your listeners are probably like, all right, so what's missing? The reason that I say it's not there yet is because I need to, like, like Joe Schmo me, I need to see it for a full season. You know, like he was elite half this year. He was elite half last season. I need to see it for a full year to the way we do with Jokic, with, Luca with you know Giannis with yeah KD with like I show me it for an entire season and then I'll say as if like Tatum's waiting around for my approval but then I'll say like <laughs> you know you're a superstar and I feel like he's not quite there yet I mean people forget because of how good the second half was and you know how well he's played in the playoffs he was really by I want to say this the right way by his standards he was really bad the first half of this season. Like the shot was way off. He was still getting his points. He was still, you know, some of the numbers were still there, but the shooting percentages were way, way down, you know, and, and I think he would have been the first to tell you that, you know, he, he acknowledged it countless times in post-game press conferences when he didn't play well. So, you know, he's, he's on the way, man. Like he is, he is absolutely on the way. He's just not quite there yet. Championships, right? It's the, it's the fashion that you play towards that championship. So if Jason Tatum totally takes over going forward, do you forget about that first half of the season and kind of have him in that top three to five or even top two because he took over for the conference and final championship? We kind of forget about the consistency a little bit and just say he's here, he arrived. Well, don't forget he was phenomenal round one against the Nets too. Yeah, so that's really true. Yeah. A, you know, yeah. It's really been a playoff long thing. I think that, again, this sort of comes back to like, there's just a constantly moving scale, you know, where, yeah. where I, I think we're right now in a time where there's no clear number one guy. Well, Luca made a crazy, uh, yeah, made, he was, <laughs> it, it was crazy yesterday, uh, yeah, but you know, out, out, now definitely a statement game, but I don't think there's a clear number one guy right now. Yeah. I mean, like to me, it's Giannis, but again, mm-hmm. to your point, there isn't a clear number one because I think it's very debatable. There are people that would still point to Jokic. There are people that would, Obviously, you know, I, I don't know how many would point to KD. He'd be in the conversation, but I don't think people would say KD is number one. We'll have to see how he comes back next year. Yeah, but I, I don't think, you know, if if you took all Celtics fans out of out of the equation, you know, no Celtics fans can vote on this debate. I don't know how many people you'd have say Jason Tatum is number one. I, I think it would I think it'd be a very, very small number. That being said, to your point, 
you know, if, if he has a great conference final against Miami and advances to face, you know, what I, I believe inevitably will, will be Golden State in the finals mm-hmm. and, you know, has, has a great finals and wins a championship and maybe he's finals MVP, even if he's not, you know, people will absolutely say he is a superstar. He has arrived, you know, beginning of next season will come. We'll say he's a superstar. He's arrived. He's starting this year as a, a superstar, but then, you know, if he has a bad or less than, or, you know, not to his level first half of the season, people say, well, maybe he's not quite a superstar yet. So it's like, it's the goalposts constantly move. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. All right. So in this series, obviously the focus on defense was Giannis moving to South beach. What is the focus on defense when it comes to the heat? So one thing that I think is really interesting and we do this no matter who is playing going into every series, it's, you know, who's the best player on the floor or who are the best couple of players, you know, three, five players that are available to you. And I, I think the the Celtics against the Bucks, let's say very clearly, you know, didn't have number one, that was Giannis, but they had two and three in Tatum and Brown, mm-hmm. you know, in, in this series coming up against Miami, they do have the number one, you know, like mm-hmm. Jason Tatum gets the edge over Jimmy Butler or Bam Adebayo. And, you know, you can order Butler, Bam, you know, Brown, whatever order you feel like, um, you know, I, I think it would probably be Tatum and then Butler and then Brown and then Bam, something along those lines, but it's debatable. But what is, I think, you know, unless maybe a Heat fan were to get involved, uh, I think what is clear is, hey, Jason Tatum is number one. So, you know, that you kind of start there. But as far as sort of attempting to slow down or limit the Heat, there are that team just scares me, man. It, it scares me because one, they're really good. You know, they, and I'm not just saying that because they're the number one seed. I mean, they're just a really good, well-rounded roster. They're bulldogs. You know, they work really, really hard. They're really, really physical. They shoot really, really well. They, you know, they're not going to just, you know, they give up a ton of three pointers, but they're not just going to give you the three the way Milwaukee did and right. say, you know, beat us with three pointer. Like they're going to give you threes, but they're going to give you bad looks from three. Um, you know, and and what maybe it's sort of just that like recency bias of of the bubble going back a couple of years when the Celtics and Heat played in the conference final. And yeah, both teams are absolutely different. And I I do like you know, spoiler alert. I do believe the Celtics are going to win this series, but I don't think it's going to be remotely easy because I whether it's you know, never mind Bam, who like, I'm not totally sure you still really have an answer for, you know, you're yeah. probably going to attack him the same way you went after Giannis, meaning it's, it's going to be a lot of different looks, a lot of different guys trying to slow him down. You know, Rob Williams, we don't know what his health is, situation is right now, but even if he does come back and he is starting, like he's not going to be this Bam stopper. Like it's not a great matchup for Rob Williams, but more to the point, like Butler, Struce, obviously, with that revenge narrative, uh, you know, Hero, clearly, Robinson, like you can go down the list of of guys that are just capable of like in a blink getting hot and yeah. destroying you from three point range. That's what we saw happen in the bubble with Hero and Robinson in particular. And that is what petrifies me about this series here, because the heat, pardon the pun, can get hot in a hurry. And, uh, you know, hopefully that doesn't doom the Celtics. The one thing that's really, really good about Boston, as we know, circling back to the beginning of this conversation, great defense, great perimeter defense, and, you know, a a lot of renewed confidence and experience, you know, from this team. Like, this isn't this young, plucky Celtics playoff team anymore. You know, Tatum, Brown, Smart, Horford, obviously, some of these guys 
have a lot of playoff experience, a ton of it, you know, whether in Boston or elsewhere. And so, you know, they're, and, and they're fresh off knocking off two teams that people pick to win a championship at points this year. So it's sort of that, you know, revenge tour for the Celtics continues here with Miami. I have the Celtics winning as well. I would say a concern, not for me, maybe a Celtics fan would be that the Celtics could just get out toughed here, right? Not saying the Celtics are a soft team, but when I think of the Miami heat, I think of culture and I think of toughness. And I think that could actually happen, even though I have the Celtics winning inevitably. It could happen because again, they're, they're a big, they're a physical team that is afraid of nothing, you know, knows that it, it beat you in the bubble a couple of years ago to, to reach the NBA finals. It's largely the same group over there. You know, they're, they're as physical and tough as they are. They're headstrong as well. And so, uh, and, and also like you got Pat Riley there, who's going to be, you know, who's, who's been through the ringer and then some, who's going to be talking to his guys. You know, Eric Spolstra is, you know, without a doubt, the best coach they've faced so far, you know, like all due respect, obviously to, you know, the previous teams, the Celtics have knocked off, but like Spolstra is a genius, man. Like Eric Spolstra is yes. just like perennially undervalued for whatever reason in this league. He is a real, I mean, like that was part of what happened. You know, Eric Spolstra outcoached Brad Stevens a couple of years ago. Spolstra is a very, very good, you know, great head coach. And so um, that the, the coaching matchup is going to be as fascinating in this series as anything else. Most definitely. Adam, great stuff. Great insight. You're always welcome back on the show. Where Love can it. we find you on uh, social media and everywhere else? Uh, social media more often than not uh, at Adam M. Kaufman on Twitter and that uh, and anything else I'm doing around that radio, TV, otherwise, it, you'll find it on Twitter. So Twitter is the best part, best place overall. Go follow Adam, man. Adam, you're always welcome back on the show. Thanks so much for taking the time and talk soon. Yeah, we'll hook up after the next round or something. It'll be great. That would be great. Later, Adam. All right. Thank you for tuning in to Combo's Court. Appreciate everyone who tunes into the show across the globe. Big shouts to Adam for joining in. We appreciate you. Combo Nation, share this episode. Share it on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. Share it on your IG stories. And tag me on there at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O. C-O-M-B-O on Instagram. You can catch me on Twitter at Combo's Court. Same name as the podcast, C-O-M-B-O-S-C-O-U-R-T. Be on the lookout for episode 368. Combo out.